Hello and welcome to another episode of Why They Win. Today's guest is Dr. Bob Rotella. He's America's top sports psychologist and he's worked with everyone. From Kobe Bryant to Pete Sampras, as well as 74 golf champions along the way. But what makes him so unique is his view on self-belief. Anyone can become a champion, he says. You've just got to believe in yourself. Dr. Bob Rotella, thank you so much for being on the show. I really do appreciate it. I loved your book, How Champions Think. Um, and I just want, just want to ask you, what is it that actually makes someone a champion? Well, my experience is it really begins with people having, you know, some big, big dreams in their head. And, you know, I think what's fascinating about that is I think a lot of little kids start off with big dreams. Most little kids don't put any limits on what they can do. You know, whatever they dream up or imagine in their head, they're absolutely convinced they can do it. And I think whether it's the people around them or the greater society or the culture, the parents, somebody early in life tells a lot of kids that that's unrealistic or that that's a crazy idea or that's a stupid idea uh, that doesn't happen to people like you. And I think a lot of kids kind of give up on their dream and they sell themselves short and they just say, oh, okay, well, I'll do something else then. And I think a lot of champions either don't listen to those people or they listen and then just say, well, you're nuts. You know, it's my idea um, and and go on with it. Now, some of them, are very precocious at a young age and it's a little easier for other adults or other people to see that as a possibility and they get encouraged and supported for doing it. So it happens in a lot of different ways, but a lot of people just give up on their dreams and, you know, basically decide that it's a crazy idea. I think where most champions one way or another are able to, to really buy into their dreams and their ideas. And they don't really try to explain to other people why. Like, Because what you find out mm-hmm. is a lot of people will say, well, where did you get that? Uh, or that's the craziest thing I ever heard of. Or what makes you think that someone like you could become, you know, the Wimbledon champion or the Open champion? Uh, or they might say, people from our town don't do stuff like that. Or mm-hmm. at the family level... They may say people in our family, you know, don't have stuff like that happen. Sometimes it's trying to convince kids that, uh, you know, we can't get a break. Uh, it doesn't have anything to do with how much you love it or how hard you're willing to work. It has to do with being lucky, and you got to be lucky. Uh, so, I mean, it's just amazing the different directions it goes in. But I would say, in general, champions hold on to these ideas um, for no reason other than that they're ideas that they own and and that's really all a dream is is your ideas for your life that you know we end up calling it a dream but it's really just an idea and at some point these people become passionately committed to it and you know and it's interesting i mean because some percentage of great champions are, are precocious at an early age which in some ways makes it easier in other ways makes it more difficult but a lot of people who become great um weren't particularly impressive looking as a young child. And, and they really, you know, they maybe physically grew later 
whether a great coordination fell into place later. Um, and a lot of times they, they'll say they become great because they had tremendous desire because no one thought they were very good or believed in them, and it really fueled their fire. Um, and then later when they combined commitment with a growth spurt, uh, all of a sudden they really had some great stuff going. But most of them had a really fight to believe because they didn't have the whole world around them telling them how, how talented they were. Whereas sometimes talented people at an early age, you know, start being told they have potential very early in life. And then they start worrying about not living up to their potential. And some of them drop out because it's too much pressure. I mean, they just don't want to have to deal with it. And I mean, so it's interesting how some people hear that they have a lot of potential and just love it and think it's fantastic and are appreciative of the fact that you know, a lot of kids don't ever have anyone tell them they have potential. Some people even tell them, you don't have any talent, you don't have any potential, there's no sense you wasting your time on it. But, I mean, that's where it begins for everybody. Uh, I think, you know, and I talk about a lot in my book about about optimism. Mm. At some point, you have to be incredibly optimistic that all this work and time and energy is going to pay off. Now, where that gets interesting is a lot of great ones will say, well, I never looked at practicing my sport as work. Mm. It really wouldn't matter if you're a writer or an athlete. I mean, people say, oh, this is what I love doing. But other people perceive it, you as being very dedicated, very committed. You know, they talk about sacrifice. And a lot of the athletes, when they talk to me privately, say, well, I never looked at it as sacrifice <laughs> to go practice my game. I, I looked at it as, yeah, this is fun. Like a lot of them will say to me, you know, if my mom or dad asked me to go clean my room or mow the lawn or trim the hedges or wash the windows, like that was work. This is fun. And this is my favorite place in the world. And this is where I feel most complete. And this is where I'm really enjoying life. And they say they didn't get tired because they felt like they could do it forever. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it, there's no sense in making it into work if you don't have to. What? But I've met some that really go in that direction and really love the idea of I'm just willing to work harder than other people and I'm going to outwork people and I'm going to outlast people and I'm going to just keep working at it until everything falls in place. So there's a lot of different ways of doing it. But I think a real big key is this optimism thing. I mean, because think about it. You have to believe that you're one of the lucky ones and that you're destined to do something incredible with your life or career. Um, but I must say there's some people who would just say, you know, I just loved what I was doing, and I wasn't really worried about whether I was going to become great or not great. I just kept doing it, and next thing you know, I got really good at it. I spent so much time at it. The point that, and this is what happens, is at some high level, the world through television or sitting in the stands watching a competitive event, they, they watch you play when you're 27 years old, and they say, oh, man, you're so lucky. You're just a natural. It came so easy to you. And that isn't their perception at all. I mean, their perception is, oh, I didn't see myself as being a natural. Uh, I had some natural ability, but well, I put a lot into it before it started feeling easier looking at me. So, I mean, it's interesting um, how people look at it. But, I, but you have to feel like you're destined at some point to do some pretty incredible things that, I don't know where that idea came from, but it certainly was something I became aware of that I felt like, you know, I was given this gift or this passion because I was put on earth to do something very unique or very special. But how did you get and the sense I enjoyed of it. 
how do you get that sense of self-endorsement when you know to become a champion you've got to have setbacks to learn so how do you as a young man or even as a middle-aged man or older man whatever you are whatever course you're taking how do you learn to take it on the chin and keep going forward well well, it's a yeah no i mean i think it's a great question and first of all let's just say there's a lot of different ways but a lot of athletes will say i just decided at a very early age that anybody who didn't believe in me was an idiot. You know, even if it was a well-known coach, they just go, well, that guy didn't know what he's talking about. Or they might say, well, he may have been a good coach for that guy, but he wasn't a good coach for me. If he can't see that I'm going to get really good at this um, and do whatever I have to do to get really good at it, well, then he just, he's not very smart. Um, And and at some point, it's just he's not smart enough to see it in me. And somehow they see it or feel it in themselves and they're able to discount the opinions of even experts who don't see what they're seeing or feeling. Um, so, I mean, what's fascinating is how many people will talk openly about, uh, you know, I just got to the point where I didn't care what anyone else's view of me was. It was my view of me that was important. And I really fought to hold on to that belief. And, you know, initially some of them were hurt. Initially, some of them started questioning themselves, and at some point, they just realized, well, this is what I'm going to have to do if I'm going to make it. I I can't, you know, because what happens is you go through life, you run into all kinds of experts who, you know, want to go around the room and look at people, oh, you've got it, you've got it, no, you don't, no, you'll never be any good, and, you know, they play genius, and it's, you know, it's a lot easier to do that with someone who's precocious, but I'd say at least half to two-thirds of champions weren't precocious. Um, you know, so, I mean, I'm just thinking off the top of my head. I mean, I think of three of the greatest, uh, well, let's take four of the greatest basketball players of my lifetime. You know, Bill Russell from the Boston Celtics won 11 world championships and never scored more than 12 points in a high school game and really didn't do any better than that in college, but went on and won 11 world championships. Wow. Um Michael Jordan got cut from his high school basketball team from the JV team, which is a junior varsity team, as a sophomore in high school. His older brother was the star of the high school team. When he signed at North Carolina to play basketball, everyone told Dean Smith he wasn't good enough to play there. Um, you know, uh, but what power the if we look at LeBron James, who I've worked with, I mean, LeBron James, on the other hand, was very precocious. Steph Curry, who right now looks like something special, um, he wanted to go to play at Virginia Tech, which was a college his dad was an All-American at. And Seth Greenberg, who's the basketball expert for ESPN now, was the head coach at Virginia Tech at the time. And Seth Greenberg told Steph Curry that even though his dad was a great player there, he wasn't an Atlantic Coast Conference talent, and he wasn't good enough to play at that level. And, you know, like four years, five years, six years later, he's the MVP of the NBA. So, I mean, even knowledgeable people are wrong a lot. And these people are able to just do that and say, well, I can't rely on other people's opinion of me. And they're able to get to this point where their opinion of them is what really matters. Many of them will say to me, or, you know, sometimes it's I'm the one who believes in them, um, and I'm the one that sees talent in them that no one else saw. So, I mean, it does matter who it comes from but they are somebody you know sometimes it was a grandmother sometimes a grandfather sometimes it was an aunt or uncle 
once in a while it was their father or mother. Sometimes it was one teacher or coach in school. But most of them found somebody who saw something wonderful in them and helped them with it. But it, but it wasn't always an expert in the field. But did you think, you know, let's say people get to middle age and they haven't become a champion of something. They've kind of, you know, life's been tough and they've got through. Um, can you become a champion if you start at any age? I mean, obviously there are physical limitations, but if you want to be, I don't know, the best guitarist in the world or, or you know, a best a writer, or what, things that you don't necessarily need, you know, heart and lungs for and, and youth, can you just become a champion? You can do it, well, anyone I mean, can do it, can yeah, they? Well, 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 I mean, you, you said it a, a few minutes ago in your question, is you're going to have a lot of setbacks and a lot of people telling you you don't have it and you don't have a chance if you get to middle age and you haven't put it all together yet. So, I mean, you have to be really, really good at loving the thing you're doing, and you better have a lot of passion for it. And <laughs> a lot of them will say, I didn't worry about whether I got to the very top or the best of the best. I just knew this is what I love doing, and I just kept throwing myself into it. And I basically said I was going to be happy whether I became the best of the best or didn't become the best of the best. And at some point it just evolves and you become really successful at it. But the ability to hold on to the belief in, in spite of rejection, you know, I mean, takes a very strong mind and a very strong belief in yourself and a real feeling that this is the thing I'm really passionate about. So, I mean, passion allows people to overcome a lot of things. But I would say most people will tell you that they found somebody who at least supported their love affair with this activity and encouraged it. And they'll usually say, if I found someone who believed in me, man, I made sure I became really good friends with that person. You know, I was going to spend time with that person. And I basically went out of my way to not spend time with people who didn't believe. So, I mean, finding the right friends... You know, and for a lot of people, it's finding the right wife or husband who's very encouraging and supportive. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of athletes who say, I mean, I remember the first time I, in 1989, I spent a whole time, a whole day with Ben Hogan, mm. who's one of the greatest golfers in history. As you know, he won the Open the only time he played him. And Ben Hogan told me that I tried to quit golf thousands of times. <laughs> because uh, I had $40 to my name and I didn't feel like I was supporting my wife in the manner that a man was supposed to take care of his wife in those mm. days. And he said, every time I tried to quit, my wife wouldn't let me. She would talk me out of it and convince me it was going to come together. And he said, somehow she knew I was never going to be a happy man if I quit before I became a champion. And he said to me, my wife was my sports psychologist. He said, I don't think anybody believed me more than her. So, I mean, you gotta, it sure helps if you find somebody. I, I, I can look back. A lot of athletes I've worked with have said to me, you know, I needed rock. And, and somehow, Doc, you saw talent in me that somebody else didn't see. But what, what, is, they, what is it they uh, learn from you, do you think? Because you've got, you know, your, your huge experience in dealing with sports people. What is it that they well, learn I, from you? Yeah. Well, I, I think there's two things. I, I think... Hopefully they probably learn a lot more than two things. But the thing <laughs> when I look at it is that I think, first of all, you have to have a very healthy philosophy of success. You know, where you really, it's, it's not you against the world. It's you against your own mind and your own belief system and your whole attitude system. So, I mean, 
the more you can just really be healthy and not be jealous or envious of other people who are successful and actually get to the point where you really want to admire other people. And then you get to a point where you find other people that have some similar qualities. So if you're a late bloomer, you're going to be a lot better off if you model yourself after other people who are late bloomers. Or if you mentioned you know, someone's 40 years old and hasn't made it yet uh, as an artist, you have to go find an example of someone who was 40 years old or later who mm. finally broke through and made it. And in some cases, you find out you can't find other examples that are just like you. And you decide, well, you're going to be the first one and you're going to be the role model for somebody else. Um, so, I mean, that's well, some people do it. Um, but one way or another, you got to find a way. So the, the second thing for me is obviously a lot about psychology. And, I mean, to me, you have to believe in your own ideas and your own dreams. And to me, every year you get older, every year you get more educated, every year you have more life experiences, you're going to either choose to have your dreams and ideas for your life get bigger and more grandiose. And I tell people, if all you're learning from your education is you're not as talented as you used to think you were, and your dreams are getting smaller, and your ideas are getting less grandiose, well then, why would you pay to go to school to learn that? You know, I, I think there's... There's a million people who can teach you what you can't do. Um, you know, I think it's using your mind to, to believe that you can do anything if you put your mind to it. And the problem is a lot of people are looking for excuses, you know, mm. to kind of protect their own little ego. So they want to say other people are lucky or they got a good break. Or in other words, most people want to blame success on stuff that's outside of their control. And I'm trying to show people that, look, this is your brain. This is your something you have control over. So part of it is getting people to understand, no, you actually do have the ability to control how you think about yourself and how you perceive yourself relative to other people that are doing neat stuff in life. And the minute you decide you don't have a free will, so, I mean, you'll see in all of my books, I, I mean, I try to bring out the idea that the greatest thing about being a human being is that we have a free will, which basically gets the means that we get to create our own destiny. In other words, this is your life. What do you want to do with it? Now, you better be thinking in a way that's consistent with whatever it is that you want to do. And you better perceive yourself as having talent uh, and it being possible or you being capable of it. And and then I start talking a lot about personal responsibility and holding yourself accountable. Well, it takes a lot of guts and discipline to admit that you have talent and you have plenty of it if you utilize it. Now, sometimes people say to me, does that mean everybody is equally talented in every area? And I go, oh, goodness, no, I don't think so. I might be wrong. Um, no, just because I'm an expert, it doesn't mean what I just said is correct. But my experience is a lot of great stuff happens when you're passionate about an area of life that you happen to have some pretty good talent at. In other words, I think you can be in love with something you have very little talent at and get really good at it. And I think a lot of people who are really talented aren't in love with the thing they're really talented at, and they'll be pretty good at it, even if they don't put much into it. But I think people who become great probably have the ability to be in love with and they at least have some talent. You know, in your book, um, Golf is a Game of Confidence, obviously that was a ginormously successful book. But do you think that's just um, something you could apply to, 
you know, everyday life, that basically everything is about confidence and belief in yourself? Well, let's say, I would say it certainly would rank right up there in terms of the most important qualities you'd want to have. Uh, if you want to find out how far you can go with the talent you have. And the problem is we live in a culture, in a world, and it's funny, if someone from uh, Wales or Scotland or sometimes England comes over here, they'll say to me, well, you know, it's so much easier to be a huge success in America because you have so much more support for being successful and believing in yourself. And I go, you know, I don't think it matters where in the world you live. There's always going to be a lot of people who love winners but can't stand people who believe in themselves. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a fascinating, you know, confusion for a lot of people. Like, we love winners, but we don't like people who believe in themselves. So even in America, most people who are successful have learned to say the socially appropriate response when they do press conferences or interviews. But they say, oh, God, I was lucky. God, I can't believe this happened to me. Or that's incredible that that happened. That's amazing. I never imagined this. Well, when you talk to them privately, that's not really how they're thinking about themselves and how they're feeling about it. What are they thinking? What are they saying? Oh, that happened on purpose. Yeah, they're really, they they (laughs) thought they were going to win before the game started. It's something they've seen a million times in their head. In other words, if a kid doesn't see himself winning Wimbledon, he'll find a way to lose. Really? He see himself winning the British Open. I mean, coming down the stretch, he'll find a way to screw it up. So, I mean, you're going to find out if you can, if you believe it but when how you do, get how, in contention. How do you get that confidence? Is it uh, the, 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 the dream? You work on it every day. Well, just to understand this, there's a combination of competency, yeah. lots of preparation, and then really working on your head. In other words, you know, when I say you are what you think about yourself and you're going to become what you think about yourself, you better really pay attention to how you think about yourself. I mean, a lot of people I work with learn that, well, I can actually decide how I'm going to think about myself. And even if I'm the only person in the world that sees myself this way. But are there, you know, if someone asked me, is it all confidence? I'd say, well, no, it's not all confidence. But, I mean, think about how dumb it would be if you practice for 10 hours a day for 25 years, even though you know no matter how hard you worked or how dedicated you were, you're never going to be any good. Well, how? I mean, that'd be pretty dumb. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. But if you know that if you really believe in yourself and really work hard, you can be really, really successful, well, it's really easy to sustain your commitment. And a big part of success is being able to sustain commitment. Um, how, through setbacks and adversity and injuries and bad times, etc. But how committed do you have to be? I mean, you mentioned 10 hours. You know, if is, is three hours a day acceptable? One hour a day? Half an hour? I mean... Well, let's, let's just say this. It's way more important to have high-quality practice than it right. is high-quantity. But you have to be able to sustain it. In other words, you can't just... You can't be a player who's a once-in-a-while practicer or preparation person... You can't be the kind of person that does it when you feel like it or when you're in the mood or when it's 74 degrees and no, no humidity. You've got to do it when it's cold, when it's wet, when it's hot, when you don't feel like it. I mean, and that's where the passion comes in. And that's where the really having the discipline to sustain a commitment um, that a lot of people just choose to not do. But I constantly am teaching all my players. It's a choice people make. Uh, you, you know, it's 
not a matter of luck. Um, I mean, so I mean, you have to. De- some people have to develop discipline to do it. Which which sports people do you think you've learned from most? You personally in your career, you know, you've seen things that other people have done and thought, yeah, that's good. I, you know, things well, you've taken on board from the people you've coached. I, I certainly think you you learn more from people who play skill sports. So whether it's golf or tennis or shooting a basketball or throwing a football or kicking a football or, um, you know, trap shooters, um, baseball pitchers or hitters. I mean, because, you know, there are some sports where just if you're really tall or can really jump, but not that you can't really improve your quickness or your jumping ability, but you can't improve your height. You know, so there's certain thing qualities that help in some sports. Um, but I, I mean, I, it's interesting. You just learn different things from people who are precocious than you learn from people who are late bloomers. And, you know, that, that's how I look at it. I mean, I, I think, you know, every once in a while you find someone who's really a pessimist. I mean, you can, you learn some things from them. But they're just absolutely con- always going to get a raw deal and a bad deal and nothing good's ever going to happen to them. And they're absolutely convinced of it. But then how do you rewire them? You know, you either change them um, or they don't continue forward. Right. And and what tends to be the biggest regrets then of sports people when their careers are over, in your experience? What, what is the biggest what? Regrets. What do people say to you most when their career's kind of done that they wish they'd done differently? Well, let me let me back up and say that you know something we talk about a lot with young athletes is what we want more than anything is on the day your career ends. That is, you want to look back without regrets. In other words, you want to know that you totally believed in yourself. You had a great attitude. You got along, you know, with others on your team or whatever, and you believed in yourself and you worked your tail off. I mean, you put in the work. Yeah. If if when you look back and you know you never believed in yourself, most people are going to have a lot of regrets. If you know if you played afraid all the time you're going to look back with regrets. Um, you know, if, if you didn't come back from an injury, I mean, I just had a long talk last night with an equestrian show jumper, you know, who had a really bad injury. I mean, both lungs collapsed, separated oh. shoulder, oh and broken collarbone, broken ribs, and, you know, t- took this gal two, three years. Really? And she's come back and riding very well. But at some point, you got to get to the point where you go out there and you're going over big jumps on a horse with absolute no doubt or fear about having that happen again. Because, I mean, you have to be fearless when it's time to do it. And you have to just be out there and seeing what you want to have happen, happen. But, I mean, I think a lot of athletes get pretty serious injuries and you have to be able to overcome them. But how? And how do you do it? Well, we work at it pretty damn hard. Um, you know, it's interesting. On one hand, I mean, what happens to most athletes is they get to the point where when they're doing their thing, they're fearless. But at night, they might still have nightmares or bad dreams. Away from the game, they might worry some. And at that point, you say, well, 
welcome to the human race. In other words, it, some of it is getting people to understand that you're still human. You know, you're not going to have a total absence of any bad thought every day of your life. But what you have to do is get to the point when it's time to perform. You know, like we have baseball hitters who've been hit in the head and had serious injuries, but they're able to come back from it. And now you've got to go stand in the batter's box in baseball yeah. and, and just see the ball and not be worried about getting hit in the head. Well, you have to be able to do that. Um, and, and there's some version of that in every sport, but it doesn't mean that away from the field you might not have some recurring bad images or thoughts. But So, I mean, you don't have to be a perfect human being. You don't have to have a perfect attitude or a perfect brain. But you better have a damn good one. What what, what would you do with uh, athletes and champions who are at the top of their field? How do you stop them from taking their foot off the pedal? Because, you know, the the goal is for them to become better and better. But when they're so good, how do you keep them driving forward without them thinking, look, I'm done now. I've, I've, I've got there. I've arrived. Well, I, well, and I'd say that comes back to a philosophy that what most of the players I work with what they're chasing is their potential. And they'll all talk about the fact that inside of me, I know when I'm playing the way I'm capable of playing. I've seen it, whether it's in practice or in a game or a big game. They've had moments where they've seen what they're capable of. And most of them are trying to get to that point more of the time. Or they've seen it in practice and they want to do it in a game. Or they've seen themselves do it in a game and they want to be able to do it in a big game or when they're playing for the world championship or something. And so they've, they've learned that they, there's something going on in their head that when they get in the right place, they can really, really perform at a ridiculously high level. And they're trying to understand it. But, I mean, they want to get to that point. I mean, that's what they're chasing. So even if you become number one in the world, some of them will say, well, the whole world's kissing my butt right now. But I know inside, I still didn't play the way I'm capable of playing. I, I may have beaten everybody else, or maybe the other person I was playing against didn't play as well that day. But they're chasing something that other people don't even understand or see or, or, or have an appreciation of. So what is it that listeners of this show could do on a practical level to get that champion mindset? Is well, it- let's make it real simple. If you're going to think about, well, let's just take uh, someone who's a writer or let's take a tennis player. If you're going to think about tennis, think about playing the way you want to play instead of spending a lot of time worrying about never playing the way you want to play. Or let's say someone starts worrying about their forehand. A lot of tennis players start, as they get older, they start thinking on their forehand and they start hitting it later and later and the ball starts flying. Why, why do you they do that? Spend why, more why, of your time, why do they do that? You better spend a lot more I'm sorry, what'd you say? Why do they worry about the forehand so much as they get older? Oh, all they have, you know, sometimes they have one bad shot at a big moment that mm. went over the baseline or into the net, and they start thinking about it instead of just ripping away like they did as a kid. Right. In other words, when you're 12 to 15 years old, it's really easy to be totally unconscious and fearless. You don't even know it's a big deal to be a great tennis player. You don't know adults around the world are judging you or critiquing you. Well, by the time you get to 18, 23 or so, you start to become aware of what this is all about and what it can do for you. And some people start to think and they get in their own way. And they all know that at some point, you know, they're going to play their best when they're getting out of their own way. 
And so you have to relearn how to go unconscious while you're doing something. That's why we practice so we don't have to think when we play. So basically, away from the golf course, you have to understand you're programming your mind by how you think. And your subconscious is trying to give you, you know, what's what you're giving it consciously. So with your conscious thoughts, you have to see yourself playing great. You have to see yourself playing the way you ideally want to play. You have to see everything falling into place. I mean, you have to see yourself out there flowing um, and just letting it happen. And what happens is a lot of people practice hard, but then they spend a lot of time proging themselves for failure. In other words, they're always worrying about it not working out or losing or playing poorly or messing up. And it just doesn't make any sense. I tell people, well, you wouldn't intentionally practice hitting a tennis ball incorrectly Mm. in a practice session. But that same person might spend hours thinking poorly about themselves. And I say, it's just so logical. It's just not the way we work. So, so, so it's a mental discipline. A mental discipline. So, so generally, what what kind of three books would you recommend um, that have kind of made you the man you are today, given you this worldview? Well, I think for the general public, as well as athletes, the last book called Champions will be very useful. I agree. I would say a lot of a lot of people in a lot of sports, as well as golf, loved my first book, um, Golf is Not a Game of Perfect. I would say for non-golfers, I mean, it's amazing how many people found either con- the Golf is Not a Game of Confidence or the, the, the golfer's mind. I mean, it's amazing, whether it's trap shooters, equestrian riders, tennis players, they'll call me and say, you know, I read how, cha- how, how golfers think. And as I read it, I just changed the word to tennis or show jumping or trap shooting or whatever. Um, the bottom line is you either better have books that are very supportive of having a great attitude or tapes that you listen to or friends or coaches who are very encouraging and supportive that make it easier for you to have a great attitude. But you better be working on it every day because the odds of you just winning every time you play your sport or do your thing from a very early age, you're pretty much slim and none. So what would be the best piece? I mean, that'd be the easiest way to be confident. You know, if someone asked me, what's the easiest way to believe in yourself? I'd say, well, win early, win early by a wide margin, win early by a wide margin over kids that are two to five, six years older than you, and do it for every year of your life. That would be the easiest way to believe in yourself. It just doesn't happen to many people. Yeah. So if that is a life experience, then you've got to turn your mind. So if you think about it, uh, I'll leave you on these last couple of thoughts. I mean, uh, most people think in a way that's consistent with their most recent experiences. Okay? That's just what most people do. But everybody who wins, like let's say we have the Masters coming up. Anybody who wins the Masters has won it a zillion times in their head. Like, I remember spending time with Seve Ballesteros years ago and him telling me that he had seen it so many times in his mind, himself winning the Masters, that he knew he was going to win long before the plane landed in America, I guess. (laughs) And I'd say that's the way it is for most people. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, you just have to work on it if it doesn't come 
the, the way that it comes most easily. But I'd say most people have to work on their confidence. It's the competition's good. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. We'll end on that note. All right, great talking with you. Thank you, Doctor. Okay, Thank you so much. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. This show has been produced by Joseph Wilson for Social Hand Grenade Productions. Check out his comedy show, The Social Hand Grenade Podcast, also available on iTunes, SoundCloud and Podbean.